Barney, from time to time, have some trouble with the issue of trust. Did you notice the lack of trust that Barney had, even in a lady who looked like she would be the essence of being trustworthy, was causing a lot of fear and frustration with Barney. And often with the Lord, even though he may appear, and we understand that we're supposed to trust him, we struggle often to have trust in the Lord, and that is particularly true when it comes to the subject of giving. Can I trust God to see and to appreciate when I give? Can I trust God that if I give, whether it's of finances, time, abilities that I have, whatever, that God will not only see it, but God's going to honor and God's going to bless. And if I give up something in giving, then God is going to give back into my life so that I'm not going to be destitute in any capacity before I give. That is so often the struggle that we have. And when we feel like we can trust the Lord in our giving, then we will know the joy of the Lord in our giving. And so I want you to turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we see the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians at Corinth about the joy of experiencing the presence and power of God when we give. And again, when I talk about giving in this message today, it can be financial, when we give of our financial means. It can be time. For an American society today, perhaps the most important precious commodity that we have to give is time. It can be the abilities, talents that you've got, the spiritual gifts you've got, whatever it may be, when you and I choose to give. Now let's paint the context of this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians, we believe, is the fourth letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He writes what we know as 1 Corinthians. Then he writes two other letters, one of which is called the Sorrowful Letter, in which he just basically has to let the Corinthians have it for mess that was going on in the church there. And then he writes 2 Corinthians in order to encourage them and tell them that he understands that they are making progress. Now, the reason that he writes chapters 8 and 9 is that he is in the process of receiving a collection for the Christians who were living in poverty in Jerusalem. When Paul began his public ministry, he and Barnabas made an agreement with Peter and I believe it was John that those guys would focus on the believers who were Jewish and they would function and focus on the believers who were Gentile. Gentiles in the ancient Roman world at that time were of higher financial means than those who were Jewish. And so it stood to reason that the people that Paul would be ministering to would have more financial ability than the Jewish folks. And so the idea was that they would receive offerings and support the Christians who were Jewish and their background who were living in the area of Jerusalem. Now there had been a famine in Palestine which began in A.D. 46. And because of that famine, the poverty in Jerusalem was becoming even more severe. Paul writes to them and he holds up before the Corinthian church the example of the believers who were in Macedonia. In fact, he says that these Macedonian Christians have been giving it to the Lord out of their poverty. Listen to his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So as Paul begins to encourage the believers at Corinth, whose best we can tell had become slack in their giving, he says, I want you to know that I'm with the Macedonian believers. And these believers that I am with are in a really tough spot. But it is out of a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Paul is saying these Macedonians are poverty stricken. They are really being tested. They are in a very difficult place. But they are overflowing with joy and their generosity has grown in their poverty. It has not constricted. And in so as their generosity has grown, even so has their joy grown. And thus he is saying, I want you to imitate the example of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I want to read that verse again. I just love the way he says this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice how he keeps using the word all. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now my sermon outline is contained in your uh, bulletin and is an insert. And please, if you'll follow along. And honey, if you could bring me my water, I would greatly be lessened of anxiety with my throat. Now, the first thing he talks about in verse 6 is the joy of sowing and reaping. And notice the farming analogy that he uses here. He talks about if you plant sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And he says if we sow bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully. Now, the, the idea, first of all, is that this sowing and reaping takes place often at a place of discomfort. He has already alluded to the Macedonians, and he says they're sowing, which they are doing bountifully right now. He says they're giving out all kinds of generosity. It's not because they're rich. It's not because they're wealthy. He says it's out of their poverty, out of the extreme affliction that they're under that they're giving. These believers were in a better position, but they too were in a difficult position in order to give. If you and I in our giving, whatever expression that giving is, if you and I wait till we feel comfortable and we're at the place that we feel secure and we feel like we're at the place that we know if we give what the outcomes are going to be and we've got it all lined up, if we wait to a comfortable place in order to give, we will never give. What we are called by God to do is give out of discomfort. Give out of a place of faith. Because when you and I give out of a place of discomfort, we are giving out of faith. 
If I give being able to project what the income outcome is going to be, if I give knowing that whatever I give, well, I'm not giving up too much. I know I'll get through this, and I've got it made. And, you know, even if the Lord doesn't come through, I pretty much got it made, and, and I've got enough saved up over here. If I'm, if I'm making sure that all the outcomes are already predetermined before I give, I'm not giving in faith. And so what God does is He says, I want you to give, but I want you to give in faith. And in order to get you to the place where you're going to give in faith, I've got to get you to the place where you're uncomfortable. Some of you are in places of ministry right now where God's going to call you to places of ministry right now in the future where you're going to have to give out of places of discomfort. You're not going to feel comfortable ministering to the people that God's called you to minister to. You're not going to feel comfortable having to deep, deep, dig deep inside of you. Get my D's out in a minute. And give to folks as he has called you to give to, etc., my favorite place to minister is not with real small children. I enjoy working with teenagers and adults, but real small kids are not my thing. Well, we have a Good News Bible Club at Lee Wade, and I'm the Bible teacher over there on Thursday afternoons. And we got first graders rolling out our ears. And that is not my comfort zone. And every Thursday afternoon, I'm trying to figure out how do I connect with first graders. And they are not sedate first graders. These are first graders on steroids, and they got lots of energy, etc. And they've been in school holding that energy to themselves all day long. So it's time to let loose and hang out when they get to Good News Club, etc. And so God has put me in an uncomfortable place trying to figure out how to connect the gospel and share the Lord Jesus with these first graders. God's going to call you to that place and see our natural desire is to always pull back. God, I want to be in the comfortable place. And God's not going to call us to the comfortable place. He's going to call us to the uncomfortable place because at the uncomfortable place is where we have to express faith in Him and rely and lean on Him. Now notice what he teaches here. He says, if you sow sparingly you reap sparingly. If you're really casting the seed out, he says, then you're going to reap as you really cast the seed out. In other words, the blessing in return is going to be determined by the blessing that is given. The blessing in return will be determined by the blessing that is given. Now, if a farmer goes out to sow and he's casting the seed out there, this is what he's trusted in. He's trusted in the soil that he's casting the seed into. He's trusted in the power of the seed that he holds in his hand. He's trusted in the seasons that the seed is going to go through so it can germinate and sprout and begin to grow. And he's trusting the promise of nature that that seed will germinate and it will grow. When you and I begin to cast seed, we have to trust the seasons of God. We have to trust what he's placed in our hands. But above all else, when we plant the seed, when we give, we have to trust in God and His promise that He gives us here that He will see and that He will bring a harvest. Now again, notice what He says here. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, if you put the seed out there, you're going to reap bountifully. Now, I brought some peanuts with me, okay, because they're easier to, to put out here than just regular seed. Okay, and easier to clean up after this message is over with, okay? And I promise you, we'll clean up after this sermon is over with, all right? He's saying this, if you got seed in your hand and you throw out just a little bit of seed. You know, I've always wanted to trash a church in front of a congregation before, and this is my opportunity to do that and get away with it. He says, if you sow sparingly, 
He says, you're just going to reap sparingly. You're not going to get much. Because I'm holding it back to myself. And if I'm holding it back to myself, all that happens in the soil cannot happen. If I'm holding it in my hand, the seasons aren't going to accomplish anything. And if I'm holding it in my hand, the power of the seed cannot be released. If I'm holding it in my hand, then he's saying that this seed that's been, that I'm holding it in my hand, that the promise can't take forth. But he says, if you sow bountifully, if we go out and take what God has placed in our lives, placed in our hands, and we just throw it out there all over the place, he's saying, I'm going to see that. I'm going to bless that. And as soon as you release it, he says, I've got the power then for everything that I've put in the seed to take forth. He says, I've got the power then to make things happen. And the promise can be released. And the joy of the Lord is going to be known in our lives because it is only until the seed is given, the faith is expressed, and God is able to go to work that His joy is going to be released in our lives. As long as I'm holding back to myself, the joy is not going to be there. When I begin to release the joy is going to be there. And let me tell you the one lie Satan will always give us. He's going to give us several lies in this, but one he'll always give us on this. And it works this way. You don't have anything in your life or in your hand worth giving to God. You're not holding anything in your life that's worth giving to God. Or what you've got is so small and so insignificant that it cannot accomplish anything. That is the lie that Satan puts out there that so many people swallow. And that's his way to cause us to hold the seed. i got to hold this in my hand. Because if I release it and I plant it, nothing's going to happen. It's too little. It's too insignificant. And what he's saying here is, that is basically a lie. When you and I put the seed out there, God sees and God blesses. Now let's look at verse 7. The joy of God's favor that comes in sowing the seed. God wants to bless, but our faith in Him determines the blessing. He says, each one must give, and that's in the imperative tense. It's a command. Each one must give. How? Now, he's going to give several directives here. First of all, each one must give. How? As he has decided in his heart, as we have determined before the Lord. Notice, in his heart, we give out of the overflow of our heart what has gone on between us and the Lord. He says, don't give under compulsion. In other words, like having your eye teeth pulled. And give from the depths of who you are. Now what Paul is telling the believers there is this. When you go to give, don't give because you feel guilt-tripped into it. Don't give because you're trying to wrangle something out of God or just get God off your back. Let your heart get in alignment with the Lord and that's how and when you give. Out of a heart that wants to serve Him. Out of a heart <clears throat> that is in the hands of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Have any of you all ever had a birthday party or some kind of event where people brought you a present? And someone brought you a present that you just had a sneaky suspicion when they brought you the present, they really didn't want to give you a present. I mean, you're just standing there looking at the thing, and you're thinking, they really 
probably are not into this. They're doing this to just appease me or to look good in front of the crowd or they feel like they've got to show up at the event and they've got to give this. Some of y'all listening to me today, you know what I'm talking about. You have been to weddings that you did not want to go to. But you knew you had to go. And you knew you had to take a present to the wedding. I mean, for no other reason to keep face. How could you walk into the wedding without a gift? So you walked into the wedding with your present. It was a wedding you really didn't want to be at. It was a gift you didn't want to give. But what did you do? You just put the gift out there and smiled and acted nice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So if you've ever been a recipient of that, what do we think when someone gives us a present we don't really want? And we really think their heart's in it. Well, we're not excited about it. I probably shouldn't say this since we're on radio and on deal. But anyway, my dad gave my mother something one Christmas that she was not excited about. I won't tell you what it was. And I thought it was a wonderful present. And I said to her Christmas Day afternoon, Man, wasn't that nice that Dad gave you that gift? And my mother looked at me with a scowl on her face, and she said no. And I was just sort of taken back. And she basically said, I know his heart wasn't in it. And I was like, I ain't pushing that one any farther. We're just going to leave that one alone. And what God is saying is that when we give to him, don't do it with this attitude of, i got to do this, but I don't want to do this. He's saying, give from your heart. You know, whenever we take positions of serving anywhere for Him and our heart's not in it, we're going to get a bad attitude sooner or later. We'll probably quit sooner or later, etc. When I'm in alignment with the Lord and I'm doing it for Jesus, not for the folks that are around me, not because I feel like i got to do it, but because I'm just doing it for Jesus and I love Him, then my heart's in the right place. It's in connection with Him. And I don't really care what other folks think about. I'm just happy that I can do that. That's the kind of giving He says He wants. Now, what motivates us on that? 2 Corinthians 9.15 says we give because of God's inexpressible gift. I am giving to him, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I am giving to him because of what he has already given to me. I'll say about, more about that in a moment. Verse 7. God loves a what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Now the word cheerful is from the Greek word from where we get our English word hilarious. If somebody is laughing their head off, they got energy. They feel hopeful. They are confident. They are relaxed. They are trusting. And what he's saying here is God loves the giver. That when the giver goes to give to God, I am saying to him in the process of giving, Jesus, I am giving to you this time, this gift, whatever, because I love you. And because I trust you that in giving, you're going to take care of me. I trust you that you can take whatever I give to you and multiply it and bless it and use it to bless somebody else's life. So even though I may feel inadequate in what I'm going to present, Lord, you've got the ability to take it and make something happen. And by the way, whatever you hold in your hand, whatever you hold in your life that God's calling you to give to Him, and you may say, how could God ever take this and how could God ever use this? That's not our job to worry about how God can take it and use it. Put it in his hand. Let that be his job because that's job, whose job it is. Whenever the Holy Spirit of God mixes with anything that we give to God, he can take it and use it. Some of you have got life stories and life's journeys that you say, Lord, I made some mistakes and screwed up so bad, etc. How, how can God ever take that? How can God ever use that? 
Let that be God's decision. He'll show you how he can take it and how he can use it. Whatever it is, some of you are sitting back and you think, man, I really would like to serve over here and I really would like to do this over here and I think I'd like to do this over here, but how could God ever take that and how could God ever use that? Let him make that decision. Just put it out there in his hands and let him take it and let him run with it. It says God loves the cheerful giver. I'm trusted in the Lord. I've got hope. I've got confidence in him. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. God will bless in proportion to our faith. God's going to give the joy in proportion to our faith. Now, when it says here that he will bless, let me give you a caution on that. In America, we understand blessing just about all the time in terms of material stuff. In other words, if God's blessing me, I'm getting more material things. And, and this is so written into our thinking. We look at somebody got a new car. Man, they are blessed. We look at someone got a brick new house. They are blessed. And then if we see somebody wearing shabby clothes and, you know, and driving a car is about to break down the street, I don't look like they're too blessed. That's because we have been conditioned in American culture to understand blessing entirely in materialistic terms. God doesn't work that way. God will bless, but it may not be in materialistic terms. So if we're only looking for God to bless in terms of getting more stuff, then we're going to at times think God's not blessing because I'm not getting more stuff. So Lord, I gave, but you didn't give me more stuff. And God's trying to say, you got to discern my blessing. And my blessing is not necessarily more stuff. Jesus was blessed of the Father, but he died and rose again as poor as he came into this world. But he had a whole lot more people that he had touched from Bethlehem to Jerusalem in the span of his life. So God will bless you, but it may not necessarily be in the materialistic sense of the word. But he wants us to position him, uh, ourselves so that he can bless us. Giving positions us in a place of trust in Him and confidence in Him, so He can bless us far beyond what we would imagine. Second, that cheerful giver, that favor of God, is the favor of a deeper relationship with Him. Giving takes me to the place where I'm in a deeper, more trusting relationship with Jesus. Please hear me on this. Jesus did not come to this earth live on it for 33 and a half years, die on a cross, lay in a grave for three days, and rise again so he could have a long-distance relationship with us. So he could show up in our lives one day a week or on special occasions. That's not why he went through that. He went through that and it rose from the dead and walked into our lives so that he could have a close relationship with us, a relationship that gets closer and closer and closer goes deeper and deeper where we are pressing in to knowing more of Him and experiencing more of Him. But how do I get to that place? I get to that place as I give of myself to Him and in giving of myself to Him, I am saying, Jesus, I trust You. And as I am trusting Him deeper, His joy of the relationship I've got is being released in my life and I'm getting closer to Him. God's favor comes with the blessing He wants to give. 
God's favor comes in a deeper relationship. And God's favor comes in verse 8 with his sufficiency. Notice what he says in verse 8. And God is able. God is able. If you and I are willing to do the giving, then God is able to give us something to give. Let me say that again. If you and I are willing to do the giving, God is able to give us something to give. I want you to say that with me. God is able. Let's say it one more time. God is able. The next time God puts a challenge in front of you, the next time the Lord puts an opportunity in front of you, the next time God says, this is a place that I want to use you, and you sit back and you say, but God, I can't, I can't, I can't. Don't sit there and confess what you can't do. Confess what, who He is and what He can do. God is able. God is able to use me. God is able to use us. God is able to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. God is able to do what? Notice what He says. God is able. Verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. To make all grace abound to you. Now, the grace of God is what I call a conglomerate term. It is His love, His glory, His power, His holiness. It is all that God is. He is able to make His grace do what? Abound to you. This is the best way I know to illustrate the grace of God abounding in our lives. When we lived in Hampton Roads, periodically we would go down to the beach. If you go down to the beach and there's no wind blowing, and there has been no wind blowing, you will get waves that may come up to your ankles. They are no fun. You just sort of walk along in them. Been down there when it's been like that. No wind blowing, hadn't been any wind blowing, no fun at all. But you go down to the beach when the wind is blowing good. Particularly if you've got an offshore storm that has been taking place. And you're going to have one wave after another wave after another wave. We uh, had a tradition when I was pastor of South Norfolk Baptist that uh, every August, we would have our church picnic, and we would go down to the oceanfront, and we would uh, have a baptismal service as part of our church picnic. Well, one year I went down there, and I mean, the wind was blowing pretty good, and the wind had been blowing for quite a while, and their waves were just coming in one right after the other. And I got out there with the candidates to baptize them, and we got in place, and before I could put one person down, the wave came along, knocked us down, and we were soaking wet before we even got the baptism going. It was all I could do to try to keep people up in those waves, because when they get to coming in, I mean, when you go down with one, you get up, there's another one, then there's another one, and they're just coming as fast as you can imagine. That's the idea of the grace of God about Bounding. You get out there in life, and he's saying, you release in the giving, and he says, my grace is going to start coming into your life. And it's going to start coming into your life like waves coming in off the ocean. Now, if I'd gone out to the ocean, 
And I had said, I want waves, and I need waves, and i got to have waves, and I love waves, so I'm going to run around the ocean, and I'm going to make up waves. People would have come up there, and they would have arrested me and taken me and put me in a little white outfit and you know, taken me to a ward somewhere because I'm trying to make waves. You can't make waves. You have to just take the waves that are coming. And we don't make up the waves of God's grace. We just go out there and receive them and enjoy them, okay? You will wear yourself out trying to make up the waves of God's grace, but if you and I position ourselves through giving of whatever and say, God, I'm ready for the receive the waves of your grace. He says the waves of his grace begin to come in, the waves of his favor. And it's described as the sufficiency of God. Notice where he says that sufficiency is. He says the sufficiency of God is in all things at all times. The sufficiency of God is at all times and in all places. So no matter where I am, I can know the sufficiency of God. No matter what season of life I'm in, I can know and experience the ways of God's grace in my life. Now what is this idea of sufficiency? You may want to write this down. The sufficiency of God is the all of God applied in all things. The all of God applied in all things. The root Greek word here translated sufficiency means satisfaction and contentment. Satisfaction and contentment. Paul's saying when God's grace begins to roll into your life, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be contented. The United States is, materially speaking, the richest nation on the face of this earth. And yet, in poll after poll after poll that is conducted, we are some of the most dissatisfied people on the face of this earth. Because all the wealth doesn't bring contentment or satisfaction. Holding all the wealth to me doesn't bring contentment or satisfaction. Paul is saying, when you give, when you give yourself to him, and his grace begins to be released and roll into your life, in all things, at all times, then you will know his satisfaction and his contentment. You see, giving does this. It gets me into the place with Jesus that my soul in the depths of who I am begins to encounter Jesus and experience ever deeper realities of who he is. And Jesus is my satisfaction. That song the choir sang this morning, Worthy is your name. Giving gets me to the place that I am able to look upon him and say, Worthy is your name. This isn't just a phrase for me to speak to you, Jesus. I am experiencing the worth of who you are as your ways of grace roll into my life. Notice the last part of verse 8. He says you're going to experience that sufficiency in all places, at all times, in every good 
work. Everything God's called us to, every good work, you'll experience that. Now, I've talked a lot this morning about that good work being in different places of ministry and service. But let me take it to a little bit different place. Your marriage is a good work that God has called you to. And you can experience the goodness of God, the waves of His grace in your marriage. Parenting, grandparenting is a good work. And you can experience the waves of His grace as you parent, as you grandparent. Your job may not feel like a good work some days. But as you carry out your job to the glory of God and to serve Jesus. I talked to my son on the phone last night. and He works in, in a capacity of audiovisual and cinema graphics and so forth. And I asked him, I said, how do you, you keep your testimony in the situation where you are? And he said, it's carrying a work ethic that people basically see the Lord in my work ethic. And he's put in positions sometimes where he has to refrain from stuff in order to, to hold up his testimony. But he said, just being with the folks and working hard, that's a good work. Any work that God puts in your path can be a good work, knowing and being sustained by the grace of God and the work of God. Every work. So, what seed has God placed in your hand? Discern that. And then say, God, I'm not going to scatter this a little bit at a time. I'm going to throw it out there in abundance. And Lord, I'm going to trust you for the waves of your grace in my life. Let's pray.